please turn in your Bibles first to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18 for our scripture reading. Again, Matthew, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 18. This is our scripture reading this morning. And then our sermon passage is 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 to 29. 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 29. So First Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. And brothers and sisters, I remind you that this is the very Word of God. There's nothing else for you to give your full attention to other than the reading of this, His Word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And, sent, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years, of old, two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And now turning to 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning at verse 15 and reading through the end of the chapter. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. 
David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it has told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Now they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived there in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men, were, and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returning from pursuing after David, so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore the place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that your spirit, who is the divine author of all scripture, both of the Old and of the New Testament, we, we call upon him now to be with us and guide us, Lord, as your word is to be preached. We pray that he would be with the ones who hear, as well as with the one who preaches. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us rightly to understand your word, rightly to interpret it, and that as we hear the word preached, as we understand, as we interpret, we pray, dear Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, to the casual eye, it seems as though David keeps suffering setback after setback. In last week's passage, after he had saved the town of Keilah from the Philistines, he learned that the inhabitants were going to turn him over to Saul. And in our passage this morning, after David had fled to the wilderness of Ziph, the people in the surrounding area went to Saul. They sought Saul out and told him that David was hiding out there. So to some it may look as though David is a failure of a future king, or at least one upon, upon whom God's hand of favor did not rest. But no matter how many setbacks David experienced, he was still alive. That's one plus. And as a result, Saul sought him as a threat. That sort of is a negative. As long as David was alive, Saul was going to pursue him while Saul himself had breath. Now this is the first time it is explicitly mentioned that Saul knows that David will be king. There have been hints about it. Now, there are hints that Saul knew that David would be king, or at least that he suspected it. Saul told Jonathan in chapter 20, verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. 
But here it is made very, very clear. And so the motive for Saul's relentless pursuit of David is also made clear. He will not, he must not, in his way of thinking, let David become king. But God has other plans. David is God's anointed, and God promised that David would be king. Saul could pursue David all he wanted, but as verse 14 in last week's passage said, God did not give David into his hand. God would always provide a means of escape for his anointed. So work our way through the sermon today. I'd ask you to, to consider this thought. Hold this thought in front of you. Jesus Christ is the rock of escape for everyone who in true faith calls upon his name. Jesus Christ is the rock of escape for everyone who in true faith calls upon his name. The sermon is made up of three parts. In the first part of the sermon I've titled God Save by your name. The second part of the sermon is strangers have arisen. And the third, delivered from every trouble. So again, God save by your name is the first part of the sermon. The second, strangers have arisen. And the third part, delivered from every trouble. So let's look at the first part of the sermon. God save by your name. As we saw last week, David escaped from the town of Calah. And in verse 14, we read then that he went to the strongholds of the wilderness around Ziph, which was about 15 miles south of Bethlehem, the town of Ziph. Uh, The strongholds were in the surrounding areas around that town. And this was in the land allotted to Judah. Now, you remember that that Saul, the king, was of the tribe of of Benjamin. David's of the tribe of Judah. So in one sense, this is, is his ancestral homeland. This is the tribe that has been allotted to him, the land that has been allotted to him. And verse 15 says that David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. Now Horesh was about five miles away from the town of Ziph. And this whole, whole area was very much a wilderness area. The farther south of Jerusalem you went, the fewer and farther between the, the towns were. A lot of open spaces for David to hide. But David knew that Saul continued to pursue him. The father of his wife and his best friend was his greatest enemy. And it was in this stronghold that Jonathan found David. Verse 16 says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Although neither knew it at this time, this was the last meeting between David and Jonathan. This was the last time that they would speak to one another in person. But it was fitting, it was a fitting last meeting between the two. Jonathan knew that David was afraid and he came to strengthen his hand. He came to encourage him in the Lord. He tells David in verse 17, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Jonathan is encouraging David with the promises of the Lord. Jonathan knows that David has been anointed to be king, and he is reminding David of that fact. He's reminding David that the hand of his enemy will not be allowed to touch him. Now, Joyce Baldwin, in her commentary on this passage, writes that the courageous visit of Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. It was not only the warmth of of human friendship that strengthened David, but much more Jonathan's certainty as to God's purpose for the future. Now make no mistake, this was risky on Jonathan's part. It was very risky for him to go down south, to leave Gibeah, to seek David out, 
It was risky for his own well-being, risky for David, because Jonathan might have been tailed. But Jonathan went to remind David of what the Lord had told him many years before, the calling for which he had been anointed by Samuel himself, that he was going to be king. And it was solely because of this promise that God had made that David would be king, that God did not give David into Saul's hand. He delivered David again and again from the hand of Saul. And it's this knowledge of this promise that emboldens Jonathan to tell David that the hand of the father uh, the hand of his father would not find David. When you remember that at this point all the people were out looking for David, you realize how bold Jonathan was in doing this and in saying this. Now Saul's extreme desire to capture David had left his kingdom unprotected. As we see at the end of this chapter, he was so desperate that he had no regard for his actual duties as king, although Saul himself remained at Gibeah. But Jonathan showed no desperation at all. As the crown prince, he had a great deal to lose if David became king. And yet his words to David that he would be next to David show his willingness to decrease as David increases. Jonathan, in one sense, is giving up the throne. In another sense, Jonathan knows that the throne never belonged to him in the first place, that it was David's. But there is a sense in which he's giving that throne up. And brothers and sisters, we are called to do the same thing. We are called to dethrone ourselves, to enthrone the Lord. That's our duty as Christians, and we have to recognize that our sinful tendency is to do just the opposite. We're constantly, our sinful natures are constantly wanting to enthrone ourselves. To dethrone the Lord from His rightful place. Verse 18 says that Jonathan and David made a covenant before Yahweh, and then Jonathan went home while David remained at Horesh. Now this might have been a sort of covenant renewal, though that language is not used in verse 18. Language is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe what the Israelites are to do. It's not used here. And so it might also have been a new covenant that, that David and Jonathan made with one another. Either way, it was a testament to their friendship to the lasting nature of this friendship that they have, but it was also an especially a lasting testament to the faithfulness of the Lord. Well, this takes us to the second point. Strangers have arisen. Everyone, it seems, in Judah felt the pressure that Saul was bringing to bear on David. Of course, having an entire army pursuing one man and his merry men would have caused great deal, a great deal of tumult in the land. So first it was the inhabitants of Calah, and now the Ziphites who betrayed David. Verse 19 says, Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the, threat, in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Saul, it seemed, had brought the full weight of the government to bear on the Israelites. He might have gotten their loyalty by coercion, but one way or another, they are loyal to him in this sense. It's telling, though, that the representatives from Ziph had to travel up to Gibeah to meet with Saul. His whole army was out looking for David, but he was back at home running the campaign from the garrison, or as the frontline grunts like to say, he was in the rear with the gear, while they were doing the hard work, the dirty work, the dangerous work. It was not the proper place for a king. 
And these men from the hill country of Ziph, they went to Saul and, Saul, and they gave him David's location. They gave him uh, gave the location down to the hill of Hakalah that he was on. And Saul commends the Ziphites. He tells them, may you be blessed by Yahweh. And then in verse 22, he tells them to go back and to make doubly sure that he is there. To report to Saul the very place that David sets his foot. If they could have had GPS, they would have had it, wanted to have it down to the very square foot upon which David stood. After what happened at Kalah, when David most recently eluded Saul, he doesn't want to take any chances. And verse 23 makes it clear that Saul is obsessed with not losing David again. He tells the men to let him know about every place that David has, hi- has hid in the past. And verse 24 says that the men returned to Ziph ahead of Saul. Saul is possessed by a desire to destroy the one who would take his place. It's very likely that the people, the people of Calah and Ziph, they'd heard about what happened to the inhabitants of Nob, including the priests, and they are desperate not to have it happen to them. That's probably why they were so, uh, so quick to seek Saul out to give David over. Now, Saul doesn't stand alone in his desire to eliminate a competitor for the throne. History is replete with palace intrigue and various monarchs' attempts to take out rivals. But Saul's behavior in chapters 22 and 23, it points forward to Herod's behavior when he learned of a potential rival for the throne. The family of Herod, including including Herod the king, Herod the Great as he is known, were remarkable for their success in eliminating enemies. Members of the royal family weren't even safe. And so it's no surprise that when the wise men came to Jerusalem looking for a king, Herod told them that if they found this king to come back to Jerusalem to let him know. Because he, as he told them, he wanted to go and worship this new king. Now the wise men, as you know, as we read, they did not return after they had visited Jesus. But instead they went back home to the east. And an angel appeared to Joseph and told him to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt to escape Herod's wrath. And they remained in Egypt until after Herod's death sometime later. This could have been when Jesus was as old as four or five. Uh, If Herod, as people date uh, matters now, if Herod died in 1 BC, which I know is a little odd, uh, Jesus might have been born sometime between uh, 6 and 4 BC. And he was probably around two years of age when the wise men came to visit him. So that would put things at around Uh, either 4 to 2 B.C. It's a little strange that we think about Christ being born before Christ, but that's the dating uh, apparently was a little bit off. But that means that Jesus could have been as old as as 5 when they finally returned from Egypt back into the Promised Land. Herod was so obsessed with keeping the throne... That five days before he died, while he was on his deathbed, he had one of his sons murdered. Who was a rival to the other sons to whom he was going to give to divide up the land. But the fact that he was willing to slaughter dozens of innocent babies shows just how big a threat he considered the one who was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. The truth is that even today, Jesus is a threat. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And people hate him because of that fact. He casts down selfish people like you and me from our homemade thrones when we come to faith in him. 
And that is because he is both our Savior and our King. He isn't our Savior if we are unwilling to have him as our King. And just as Saul was with David, so Herod was with Jesus. They would have no other king besides themselves. But that is not the way it is for the Christian. We are to have no other king besides Jesus. This brings us to the third point of the sermon, delivered from every trouble. Saul and Herod were alike in at least one respect. They both utterly failed in their attempts to kill their chief rivals. And the reason for their zeal in trying to kill their chief rivals was also the reason for their rivals' preservation. Both Saul and Herod tried to kill the Lord's anointed. God the Father had ensured that Joseph and Mary would keep his beloved son safe from harm by sending an angel to warn them to flee to Egypt. And then again, after Herod died, Joseph was warned in a dream not to to go back to Judea, but instead to go to their hometown of Nazareth, which was in the district of Galilee, because Herod's son Archelaus was now ruling over Judea and was himself a threat to Jesus. Back in our passage, verse 25 says that Saul and his men went to seek David. And so David and his men, they left Hakalah and they went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul pursued them there. Saul was closing in on David and his men. And verse 26 says that Saul went on one side of the rock, this mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, and Saul was closing in on them. Saul had thousands and thousands of men compared to David's 600 or so. David's doom was imminent, humanly speaking. And just as they were about to capture David, verse 27 says, A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And so Saul and his men withdrew and went to fight the Philistines, and David was saved. And as a result of this salvation, the place was named the Rock of Escape. David understood just how close he had come to being killed. And he wrote Psalm 54, perhaps while he was in the midst of being chased, at least while he, uh, as a a form of response. And it makes clear in that psalm that it was God alone who had delivered him. Psalm 54 starts out with a prayer for deliverance and ends with praise because God had delivered him. Despite the name that was given to the mountain, David knew that God was truly his rock of escape. David had gone to the rock that was higher than he, a refuge, a strong tower against his enemy. As for Saul, he was, in essence, beating his head against that rock. At every turn in his attempts to kill David, he was thwarted by the one who had anointed David as king. Saul could not touch one hair on David's head without the Lord allowing it. David could, not, could count all of his bones. He was under Yahweh's protection. The Lord, not the mountain, the Lord was David's rock of escape. No matter where David went, this rock would always be with him. Brothers and sisters, you and I have this same rock. We have this rock of escape. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are under his protection. We have been brought to the rock that is higher than ourselves. By faith in Jesus Christ, you have been protected from the fiery wrath of God, which has been poured out because of your sins. Jesus himself endured his father's wrath for you. 
He died in your place and my place so that He could be our rock of escape. That is the reason that Jesus Christ was born. So that He might live and die for you and me and be raised for our justification. And brothers and sisters, that is good news. That is the gospel. That if you believe it, you will indeed be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you that by your Spirit you have drawn us to the rock that is higher than I, that is higher than we are. You've drawn us to Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our place of refuge, that he is our salvation, that he is our rock of escape. But we pray that you would help us Again and again, as we seat ourselves in sin on the throne, as we indulge our desires, as we seek to treat ourselves as kings or queens, we pray, O Lord, that we would be reminded that Jesus Christ is King, that He is Lord, that He is our Savior. Lord, we pray that You would gently humble us, That you would cause us not to bow down in worship of ourselves, but to bow down in worship of Christ Jesus. To magnify the Lord. To exalt Him. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.